0: Today is April the 22nd, 2015, and this is episode 1562 of the Survival Podcast. And today we're doing another episode in the series that I call The Insurgency. Yesterday was an episode that would fit in that realm, too. I don't know if I mentioned that, but today definitely fits in that realm. And uh, I'll save the subject for, well, after the history segment, because there's a unique way that it ties in today. Before I uh get into this, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is BulkAmmo.com. If you want ammo, and you want it in bulk, and you want it so fast, you'll wonder, who's that at my door? It's my ammo? Wow, how'd that happen? Go to BulkAmmo.com. Um, I've received emails that said, Jack, I, I... I Didn't really believe it was going to be that good, and wow, how did they do it? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just a straight-up efficiency. They they specialize in what they do, and they do only what they do. They do it well. They've got great pricing. They've got a great selection, and they get the ammo to your door fast. What more could you ask for than something like BulkAmmo.com? When I need ammo in bulk, it's where I go, and it's where I think you should, too. Next up today, Sir, uh, Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor, the first people to step up and say they want to sponsor the show, have been doing that now since 2009. 2009 doesn't sound that long ago, but it is 2015, guys. So it's it's been a while. Um, I don't think most relationships in, in the sponsorship world last that long in radio anymore. But for alternative media space like a podcast, it, it, it's almost completely unheard of. And if you notice, most of our sponsors go back close to that long or maybe a year or two less at the most. We have something unique and special here, and it all started with Save So the next time you need something for your preps, go check out Safe Castle and see if they have it. Uh, the other thing is they also are one of our biggest supporters of the MSB. They have a discount membership program. It costs $49. They sell it for that price every day to people uh, outside of this community that just want great discounts. They will give it to you for free if you are a member of my Members Support Brigade. That means it pretty much pays the first year. And if you're a military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty prior service, it actually is profitable from that $1. Uh, d- uh, discount uh, alone that we give you in the MSB, so consider joining the MSB, remember those military folks you law enforcement, you first responders all of you guys qualify for a discount whether you're active duty or prior service, email me com with service discount TSPC in the subject line, do that before not after you join, and I'll get you back that discount information, I do have uh, a cool update though about the MSB for you guys today I just added two great new vendors that are unlike anything that we've ever had before uh, in two totally different ways, but both work with wood. The first one is the Permaculture Wood Shop. It's another small business success story right out of TSP's larger community. Uh, the, the founders have actually been here to the Survival Podcast Homestead at Nine Mile Farm and been part of our workshops and have taken upon themselves to build a, a unique line of permaculture tools such as an A-frame level that's cut out of uh, three-quarter plywood that actually tells you degrees of slope. So you can either get your level contour with it, or you can tell the degrees of slope, or you can put out a key line design on, on a degree of slope with one tool. It's completely awesome. Folds up, ships well, great. They've also done top bar and Wari-style top bar beehives out of plywood using CNC. They fold flat, come with everything. You just put them together. Like If you can put Legos together, you can do this. Awesome bad houses, and they have 3D to scale landscapes you can get of your property, where you give them the size that you want and your property location, and they actually do a printout that's actually your property or any property for, like a, for a client, if you have clients, that are a scale mat model of the property, where you actually have the, the, the degrees of slope reflected in the model. They're just awesome. You have to look at it. So they're great. 15% off on all orders and free shipping on all orders if you're an MSB member. That is... Pretty awesome. Next up today is two timbers display cases. Now, this is more for you guys that have military memorabilia or any type of memorabilia or knives or things like that that you want to display in a beautiful way. They make awesome cases to display your knives, arrowheads, fossils, metals, pins, military items, and more. They are a family owned business and each of their cases are built by hand in a father and son shop in southern Indiana. They strive to source all the materials from local businesses and are proud to produce a product truly made in the USA. They offer a 5% discount on all orders for the members, and uh, they're at 2timbers.com. So the permaculturewoodshop.com and 2timbers.com. Discount codes are now in the MSB. Just a great addition, and I've got some more stuff coming already. Folks, if you have a unique business that provides products that you think the MSB would be interested in, Please get in touch with me about it. Know that I don't say yes to everyone. But specifically, I'm looking for things that will appeal to people that want to live healthy lives, independent lives, the outdoor lifestyle, things like that. I mean, the display cases doesn't, you know, does that really survive? Well, if you think about the clientele of the Survival Podcast and the types of things that they're interested in, they're the type of people that would want something like that. So... And with a hundred thousand, you know, people out there in the audience now plus, it, it, there's not much that wouldn't be of interest to somebody, but I look for the things that are unique and different that have enough of a discount to warrant going in there. And the other thing is that your business has to be up and operational. I can't. I don't really want to hear about it while it's still an idea. We're working on our website, what have you. Make sure the site's well fleshed out. It explains your story. And it really helps if you have some track record of doing business for me to trust, giving you my implied endorsement by making you a partner. But I'm looking for more partners right now. I have a couple I'm going to be getting in, talk, in touch with this week uh, that I think are really cool. And I'm really looking for stuff that it's not like I already have. I don't want to dilute the value to my existing partners. I want to keep increasing the value for everyone. Win, win, win. I get to keep doing what I'm doing. My partners get to sell more stuff that they normally wouldn't sell. And by the way, guys, I take nothing. I sell a membership to you. Every time someone comes to me and says, well, we'll give you 5% on every sale, put it in the discount. That's not what I do. I don't do affiliate sales. I negotiate the best deal I can for my members. That's the MSB. A little longer than normal about that today, but I just wanted you guys to know about that. I also want to give you an update on what's going on at Permaethos. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. I have an email here from Kevin, and uh, I think you guys would really like hearing about what's what, what went on with our Swale Fest, as we called it, in West Virginia at the Ethos Farm Elijah Spring. Permaethos just finished our Swale Fest Zello workshop at Elijah Springs Farm. and What a great weekend we had. First, thanks to the Wolfers, Todd, Derek, Matt, Kevin, Kyle, and Jonathan. You guys kicked ass on the swale construction and everything else. Next, we had about 20 Zello members drive in from all over the East Coast and Midwest to help finish the swales and plant more than 3,000 trees. The crew worked their asses off and were quite an inspiration. It amazes me how permaculture can really bring people together. And then we're using initials here so that we're not giving away names. M from South Carolina is paraplegic. And all of you who have been to the farm know it's not exactly handicap friendly. No problem for M. He worked harder than anyone planting trees and then worked overtime getting himself in his wheelchair around the muddy mess. And then we had S. and her family from Indiana, perfectly able-bodied except she's blind and she has a concealed carry permit to boot. I bet I know exactly who S. is from the from the blog. Anyway, uh, we went overkill with the tree order. We purchased 5,000 trees from the state of West Virginia Nursery. You should check out resources like this in your states because they have awesome prices on larger quantities of trees. We ordered 3,000 Chinese chestnut trees, 1,500 black locusts, and 500 hazelnuts for all for a whopping $1,053. 20 cents a tree in those quantities. The state had a few cancellations. We traded 600 of the Chinese chestnuts for 100 American chestnuts. They didn't want to break open a bundle, so they threw in an extra 50 Americans. The Zello crew planted all 500 hazels in the upper swale, about 1,500 chestnuts in the bottom two swales, and around 750 black locusts on the parking lot banks. Thanks to PA Prepper for setting everything up and all the Zello community for their awesome support of TSP and Ethos. That's awesome. And I got to tell you, we're doing something much bigger in June. You might want to start marking out your calendars now, full details, probably by the end of the week where you can sign up. We have an incredible uh, Ethos workshop that's going to be going on at the farm in West Virginia. Stay tuned for more details because um, at this point, let's do the history segment and uh, you'll get it in an interesting way tied into today's show. Today I have, for the year 1562, the French Religious Wars. Remember the Alamo. Those are one, by the way. The Witchcraft Act. You'll swing, but you won't burn. And book burning, and the Black Legend of Spain. These are all awesome, but I I had to do the Witchcraft Act for, well, for logistical reasons for today's show to make a really great point, and because at heart... Like many of us that grew up in the 70s and 80s, there's a bit of a nerd in me that gets an opportunity to do something here uh, that the inner geek or inner nerd in many of you will appreciate. And some of you might just fast forward through three minutes that's going to come after this segment. But anyway, and some of you already know what it is. Anyway, on a lighter note, practicing witchcraft will get you the death penalty, but only if someone is actually harmed... Someone other than the person accused of witchcraft, of course, Queen Elizabeth I of England is easing up on those who are accused of witchcraft. Her father, Henry VIII, did not require proof of actual damage in order to put a witch to death. Reading the reports of the time, it is apparent that even an 80 old woman who mumbled to herself as she walked along could be hanged if her mumbling was associated with a crop failure or bad butter. Good thing she didn't question global warming or she'd be in real trouble. My take by Alex Shrug that puts these together for us at tspwiki.com, the Survival, Sustainability, and History Wiki by this community. The other virtue of this law is that witches are not burned unless the damage caused by witchcraft is accompanied with a conviction of high treason. This small mercy will be carried over to the future American colonies. Contrary to everything I've assumed since childhood, not a single witch was burned in the British colonies, That includes the time of the Salem witch trials. Many of the accused certainly died, usually by hanging, but not by burning. Um, in an effort to make a point and to provide some humor, I will provide you with the following from Monty Python and the quest from the Holy Grail.
1: Witch. Might we burn her? Who oh, oh,
2: do you know she is a witch?
1: She looks like... Well, yeah, she yeah, looks like yeah. Bring her forward. I'm not a witch. I'm not a witch. But you are dressed as one. They dress me up like this. Well, we we did, did, we we did. Did. And this isn't my nose. It's a false one. Well? What, well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat. But she's a witch. Yes. Did you dress her up like this? No! 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 no. no. Yes. 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 Yeah. A, bit. Yeah. A, bit. a bit. A bit. A bit. She has got a wart. What makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. A newt? We got better.
2: Burn her anytime!
1: There are ways of telling whether she is a witch.
2: Tell What are they? Kill oh, well, tell tell tell
1: tell me. What do you do with witches? Burn And what do you burn apart from witches? All witches. Wood. So, why do witches burn? Because I'm made of wood. Good. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Tell whether she is made of wood. Built a bridge out of her. Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah cool. uh... Uh, does a wood sink in water? No, no. no. no it floats. It floats. over into the pond. <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread, Apples. Uh, Very small rocks. Cider. A great gravy. Cherries. Mud. A churches, churches. Lead, lead. A duck. Mm. Exactly. So logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood, and therefore
2: a witch. We shall use my largest scales.
1: In the ways of science. I am Arthur, King
2: of the Britons. My liege!
0: And, you know, I just can't resist this. Before I get serious about how I actually feel that that, that commentary fits with this history segment leading to this show, that's not the funniest moment in that old stupid movie. Um, I believe this is. So, again, for your humor's sake today, as we go into a very serious subject after this.
1: Hello? Who is it? It is King Arthur, and these are my knights of the round table. Whose castle is this? This is the castle of my master, Guidel Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. If he will give us food and shelter for the night, he can join us in our quest for the Holy Grail. Well, I'll ask him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, He's already got one, you see? What? He says they've already got one. Are you sure he's got one? Oh, yes, it's very nice, sir.
0: I told him we already got one. (laughs) Okay, so like half the audience is like, oh, enough of this, and then the other half's like, that was awesome. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, and you, especially if you're a guy, and you hung out with people that were into all this stuff, it was probably a good flashback, but... There actually is some serious connotations to it, which is why I played it. Um, I believe that most people uh, that are for greater freedom and liberty actually aren't ready for that yet. In fact, they don't really want it. They just say they do. Uh, they've chosen a side of the dichotomy, and they want the government to control people at a very, very intensive level. And they just want it done their way. And the the reason that applies to the whole kinds of things like witches and stuff is that what I don't believe has changed in history is that governments, regardless of whether they're dictatorships or monarchies, etc., tend to actually be a reflection of the majority of the people within the state that the government exists in. And this government today that's out of control, that's irresponsible, that can't manage a checkbook, that infringes on the rights of others, is actually a reflection of the people. Uh, we, we, we tend to look back and think, well, you know, the state put people to death for stupid offenses that we would never put anybody to death for and, and say, well, look see how evil the state is. And while I agree, we're letting an awful lot of people off the hook. You know, when they were hanging people in a town square, all the people that came to watch, cause it was entertainment. Yeah. Do you, do you think if all of those people would have been ready to start tearing people apart, you know, and, and revolting over such things that the governments of the day, even back then, would have done that. When you hear these cries of "Burn the witch, burn the witch" in this this satirical comedy, it's the only comedy of its kind, really. I don't think anybody's ever really done anything like Monty Python ever before or since. But um, and it can only come from from the English, seriously. Um, but there's this truth underlying horrific truth to it. It wasn't the state that that wanted the witches burned. It was the people who brought the witches to the state to have them burned, and then the state wrapped it around a cloak of legitimacy through a trial of sorts. And in the history segment, it's like, okay, well, somebody has to have been harmed at least. You can't just take some crazy person walking down the street, call them a witch, and burn them because six acres away, somebody's rice crop, or in, in, in the case of England, you know, their their wheat crop failed. Um, which was a start, and at least not burning people was, it's, it's still horrible, but I mean, if, if I was going to be executed, and there was no way I could stop it, and I, trust me, I would fight, they would drag me down that last mile, because I would fight for any chance to survive, especially if I'm being wrongfully executed. But if put to a question, we can either set you on fire or hang you. I'll go with the hanging. Not happy about it, but yeah. So, and see, in the state's mind, that was mercy. And in the minds of the people, that was mercy, because the two were a reflection of the same. And and that kind of leads us into my topic for today's show, which is on being a sovereign human. And I want to explain to you why I'm even using the term sovereign human And it actually ends up being a good thing, I think. And I want to be real clear right up front that I don't believe this is my term. I think it's been used a lot. So it's sovereign man, sovereign individual, etc. I like human because it's all-encompassing. But a long time ago, I talked about the concept of being truly a sovereign citizen under the Constitution of the United States. And the reality is there's a segment of the sovereign citizen movement who have pretty much ruined the word. Now, there's a lot of people in the sovereign citizenry world who are peaceful and tend to operate via turning the state onto itself via the courts. And that's what that movement was supposed to be about. You just take everything the state throws at you, and you just keep turning it back on them and take every victory you can get. But there's enough idiots that have committed acts of violence under the phrase that's pretty much ruined it. And the word, I don't know that it can ever be salvaged or saved ever again, However, as so often is the case, that which is ruined often leads to that which is better. In this case, I think the term sovereign human is a much better term. Citizen denotes a state, and a state denotes control, but no matter our state of residence or citizenry, we're all humans on this big floating island we call Earth. Again, I'm not the first person to use the term sovereign human or sovereign individual by a long shot, but I do think it's a better way to understand both the problems in front of us And the solutions to them. And and it's really necessary that I think we begin thinking this way if we're going to solve the the massive problems we have. So I'd like to share another example. There's so many, but this one just came to me today, of a problem that's been created by the state, but I do believe is a reflection of individuals that are okay with it in, in the citizenry. And I shared this on Facebook, and ironically, it's kind of a sovereign citizen model that's being used to fight it, because it's now being taken before the United States Supreme Court. Um, But here's the headline. And you have to ask yourself how this can happen in the United States of America in the first place. Raisin Farmer challenging USDA's $700,000 fine before the Supreme Court. Well, I mean, you could get fined for a lot of things, right? How about this? A California farmer is fighting the government to keep the fruits of his labor. Raisin producer Marvin Horn is heading to the United States Supreme Court on Wednesday in a bid to stop the federal government, (laughs) listen to this, from seizing his dried fruit crop, almost half of it, without just compensation. He plans to argue the neater, nearly 80-year-old federal law. See, it's not Obama, okay? It's not Obama doing this. This is how long this mindset's been with us that we've allowed this to go on. A nearly 80-year-old federal law designed to keep prices steady violates his Fifth Amendment right to just compensation for, by, for a taking by the government. Horn has been fighting the government over raising seizures for more than a decade first by claiming he was not subject to the law, and now by claiming the law is unconstitutional. He first ran afoul of the U.S. Department of Agriculture in 2002 when it moved to take 47% of his crop. He sought to organize opposition establishing the Raisin Valley Marketing Association, a coalition of 61 raisin growers in Fresno and Moderna counties. "Quote: A lot of us jumped up and yelled and said, no, it's crazy. What's the matter with you guys? Horn told NPR. It was to no avail, and that's when I came home and I talked to my wife, and we said, no, we're not going to deliver. Horn of Fresno is both a handler and producer of raisins, two occupations treated differently under the New Deal-era policy. Producers grow grapes, handlers dry and package them. The law in question allows the federal government to seize as much as 47% of the handler's goods, depending on market conditions in a given year. The seized raisins are warehoused for months or years and then sold back to handlers who sell them on the international market. The law was crafted to avoid a raisin glut, and the government uses the proceeds to help the industry promote raisin consumption in foreign markets. Horn and his wife Laura initially claimed them as producers. They were not subject to the program, but the USDA demanded the crop, and when he refused, imposed a $700,000 fine and penalty. Under the current case, Horn is arguing the raisin raid violates his constitutional rights. I'd say it violates his human right to property, but I'll just keep reading. The law has support in the raisin industry. There is where you should have a Fred Sanford moment. The law has support in the raisin industry. According to the USDA, more than 99% of America's raisins and 40% of the word supply comes from California. But prices tend to fluctuate sharply from year to year. More than 1,600 raisin growers from California have joined the USDA in its defense of the program and say the homes are free riders who evaded marketing orders and yet benefited from the higher prices. You read the rest if you want to. So, gee, big agriculture agrees with big government about the right of government to take away your property. But see, there's higher price. Well, maybe if there wasn't a law that allowed the government to take half of your production away from you and decide when and how much to sell it back to you for while never paying you for it in the first place, maybe... If that didn't exist, then there wouldn't be these higher prices. So at the same time, you have a government screaming that we need to make sure that the poor have access to food. And we need need subsidies in the agriculture market to keep prices down. Where here you have a clear indication that the government has used a reverse subsidy to keep prices elevated and artificially high. With no interest in, hey, this stuff could be feeding people. And once again, you see the rise of the state in agriculture is directly connected to storability. You notice they don't do this with grapes, because they can't. This is why the government always incentivizes the production of storable foods. Not because they want you to be a prepper and put them in your cabinet. That would be fine. But because they themselves can seize, grab, manipulate, and control, and they can put a couple hundred million tons of soybean away, and know they can put it back in the market whenever they want to. Where they can't do it with potatoes. A little bit, but nowhere near to the level. And they certainly can't do it with tomatoes, unless we put them in a can. Therefore, we'll regulate the producer and the handler separately, and we'll steal for one to the benefit of the other. If somebody happens to be both, we're stealing from him to his own benefit, and he should just shut up and take it. This is the world we live in today. Now, if this law has been around 80 years, and the people that you would think opposed to it are actually for it, doesn't it make my case that the average individual in this country that seems to be so opposed to their government actually isn't? This is what I mean when people say, well, you know, third parties, why don't third parties get more support? If they could just get in the debates, if this or that or the other. Listen, unless a third party gives people more of what they want, which is greater government control, Nobody's going to vote for him. And when I say nobody, I mean nobody in excess of 10 to 15 percent of the population. And a lot of the people that will vote for a third party, a libertarian-type party candidate, um, don't really know what they're voting for. They're just dissatisfied. They don't really understand. If you actually started explaining to them, like, if we ran things this way, here's all the things the government would stop doing, and here's the growing pains that that would take, they might not be so for it. And you might see them gravitate right back to either the left or right side of the state-based paradigm dichotomy. And for every person that will vote for a legitimate libertarian, there's someone out there that would probably counter that by voting for a Green Party-type candidate, a a full-on socialist, a natural socialist, right, a people socialist, whatever kind of crap. It's just another version of the left side of the dichotomy with a different spin. And so what that means is that we live in a nation where we believe that the ballot box is the solution and it isn't, but it could be. But it will never be the solution under the current thinking of the population. The current population will never elect a Ron Paul. And for me, that's not even far enough when it comes to freedom and liberty. It would be... a I would support it. I would actually become politically active if I thought, not Rand, but Ron had a shot at the presidency. I really would. Um, I trust that things would get as much better as they can right now. But I also believe this. He would become, very quickly, one of the most ineffective presidents in history. And all the good that was done would be immediately countered by the next status put in his place. Because the people aren't ready yet the people are still screaming burn her burn the witch that's what people are still doing so we need to change the minds of the people and operate on our own as individual sovereign individuals until then and it is only by spreading that that i think we can ever actually improve not the united states but the world as a whole in regards to liberty that i think we've come as far as we can with an incremental process based on the state being altered. And now it comes to a point of, okay, we've altered the state, now let's begin to deconstruct it. And instead of trying to do it with a frontal assault, let's first by starting to to understand the dynamic that since the state, in its current form, is a reflection of the mindset of its citizens, that the mindset is the root of the problem and where we need to address the problem. And then we don't have to argue about which criminal is better for the country. And in the meantime, we get to create as much individual liberty in our own lives through this process as is possible under the current reality. So that's why I think this is a really important topic to understand. And I think I should start out with, what exactly is the concept of individual human sovereignty? And it's pretty simple, it's very keeping with the Constitution of the United States, it's even more keeping with our founders' views as expressed, not necessarily as enacted. The words of Jefferson and Washington very much back this up. Some of their actions once given the power of the presidency uh, failed to meet their rhetoric. Uh, it, it's typical with politicians. Though I, I would say that both were a far cut better than what we have today. Um I also think, back to that time, and I think of somebody like James Madison, who was was the President of the United States during the War of 1812, and this also makes my case about even when politicians aren't perfect, still being a reflection of the people and being better or worse based on that. Um, But in the War of 1812, of course, eventually Washington was burned, and with the Capitol aflame, Madison, along with his security detail, saw to uh, the, the evacuation of his, his wife and other members of his staff. And then, as they were considered safe, he climbed onto his horse and rode his horse back into the Capitol as it burned, looking for others and, and encouraging them to, to retreat orderly uh, and put himself at considerable risk to do so. I ask you any of you, no matter your age, in the life of any living human, with the possible exception of Dwight David Eisenhower, was there any president that you believe would have done this? And then, just to drive the point home, from 1975, 1972 onward, is there any president that you can see to have done this? Do you think Richard Nixon would have put himself in that type of a risk for the safety of others during a national emergency? Jimmy Carter? Ford? He probably would have fell down. Reagan? Really? Bush the first? Clinton? Can you see Bush the second doing this? Can you see Barack Obama doing this? Is there a member on either side, running for the nomination with any serious potential to win it, that you can see this happening from right now? Can you see Hillary Clinton doing that, or Ted Cruz, or Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, Elizabeth Warren, Scott Walker? I I, I can't see any of these people being willing to do that. I could be wrong, but I think that's also a reflection of the people. I think the average person in 1812 in this country would have charged into the fight. And once it was determined that we have to we have to retreat to fight another day would do what they could to aid and abed their fellow countrymen in getting the hell out of Dodge in an organized manner. And that's why the leadership had that viewpoint at that time. Not all of it, but some of it. See again, we come back to this important understanding the leadership is a reflection of the people. It's a very hard pill to swallow because it tells you how deep the problem is. It's not just that you're controlled, it's you're so perfectly controlled that you actually agree with what you claim to disagree with. And the, the view of individual human sovereignty is that that's all bull. That as a being yourself, through either your, your, your creation or your existence, depending on what you believe, you have certain Human rights and we'll get into more about what some of those are and what they mean in a moment but it's just that in of itself that there is no entity apart from yourself that should be able to have any control over certain things in your life or block your pursuit of certain things and and that is basic individual human sovereignty and that is the message that we need to spread to people because it starts with them and it's something no one will tend to disagree with as long as you're talking about them with it and if you do that with them long enough their mind might open it up enough to see that it should apply to others equally. So if I tell you, you should be able to do anything you want as long as what you're doing doesn't hurt anybody else. Most people will agree with that. If I give an example of something you should be able to do, as long as you stay focused on yourself, and as long as it's something you would do, you tend to agree. The majority of people, the minute I make it not about them, it's about somebody else choosing to do something they would not do, if they have not yet mentally advanced to a point of recognition of rights must exist for all if they are to exist for any, will immediately begin to, to turn on that and say, I I don't know, right? If I say, well, you should be able to build your house any way that you want to because it's your property and you bought it and you paid for it, and if you want your house to be a star shape, you should be able to do that. They'll say, well, of course I should. I'm not going to do it, but I should be allowed to if I want to. But then if I explain that somebody across the street is trying to build a house in some unique fashion or way or something that conflicts with codes, they start to get really... Pull back on whether or not that should be the case. Well, it might affect my property values. And, you know, I mean, like, there's these codes for a reason. And it could go through all types of issues, social and physical, both, where people have that tendency. It's okay as long as it's me. But if you can get people to truly understand not only should you be able to, but how many things you can't do and how wrong that is, the only rational human response is to start realizing this shouldn't happen to anybody. You have to make people feel how bad it really is for themselves so that they can understand how bad it is for everyone and then maybe you can start to change the mindset and it's a, it's a generational thing, this is not something that we fix next week or we fix next year or we fix next decade this is you know five, six, seven generational thinking to make this radical change slowly over time through education and information that's the commitment that it takes starting now with us, the Pioneers The first people that that set out into the wilderness never really saw the fruits of their labor. Their grandchildren and great-grandchildren did. That's our charge now. That's how I feel about this. And in the end, though, the pioneers had a pretty good life if they didn't get hit with an arrow in the back. Some of them did. That's part of being a pioneer. And I think right now this is more important than the elections because if I convince a person to vote for A versus B in any given election, I've accomplished the square root of F all in reality. If it actually swung the election, it's not even a big deal in most cases. But it won't. All I've done is cement somebody to a different side of a dichotomy. But if I can get one person to realize their individual human sovereignty and to understand the infringements that are upon it as we as we sit here as though everything is perfectly normal, and that one person gets mad, and then that one person channels that anger into positive actions and changes their lives. I've accomplished so much more, and it's easier to do. It is easier for me to, to convince someone who right now is intending on voting for President Hillary Clinton that they have individual sovereign human rights that are being violated by the state than it is that she would be better off voting for Scott Walker. Period. It's easier and it's more effective. Now, that's what you should do if you want to be effective. There's a danger here, though. And since it's movie and comedy and, and, and Hollywood flashback day, I'm going to flash you back to the 1970s. And I'm going to play a little bit more of this clip than is usually played when it's played. Um, It's it's from a movie called Network. And it's about a TV anchorman who has found out that he's about to be thrown out and retired on his ear. And he's not happy about it. And he's also reflecting on all the things going on in the nation at the time, like the price of oil, etc., uh, people being poor, you know, just like we have today, even though it's 30, 40 years later. Um, and I, again, I'm going to play more of it than you usually hear when somebody uses it like this, because I think it's important to truly take in the totality and understand both the positive aspects of realizing how bad things are and how quickly those can become negatives if they're not channeled properly. And I think the to- the total of what I'm going to play for you is better at them with- than what people usually use when they use this clip.
1: How do you do, Mister Beale? I must make my witness. Sure thing, Mister Beale. Oil ministers of the OPEC nations meeting in Vienna still haven't decided how much more to increase the price of oil next Wednesday. Yeah. And okay, he came to the, the building about five minutes
2: ago. when comes in.
1: Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, This has been the most. Cool. This is meeting the oil states have super. ever had. Fifteen nations of OPEC have still not been able to decide by how much to increase the price of oil. Saudi Arabia... How much time we got? Yesterday, for further consultations with his government, he returned to the Vienna. This is Ed Fletcher in Vienna. Take two, Q. Howard. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. Open it and stick your head out and yell. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I want you to get up right now sit up, up go to your windows open them and stick your head out and yell I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore things have got to change how the many stations is this going you've got to get mad you got to say I'm not going to take this anymore then we'll figure out what to do about the depression and the inflation and the oil crisis but first get up out of your chairs open the window stick your head out and yell and say I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore Who are you Talking to her. Are, they Atlanta, her? Are they yelling in Atlanta, Ted? But first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. They're yelling in Baton Rouge. God. Get up, get up, get up out of your
2: chair. Son of a We struck the mother low!
1: Stick your head out of the window, open it, and stick your head out and keep yelling and yell, I'm as mad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore. Just get up from your chairs right now. Go to Where the are you going? Everybody, I don't want to see if anybody's yelling. Window, open it and stick your head out and yell and keep yelling. Hey. I'm down as hell. How am I gonna take this
2: anymore?
0: Now, I, I remember the first time I ever saw that, and it's, it's worth watching the video that I'll put a link in the show notes to today to get a better understanding of everything that's going on, because there's a lot of visual components, obviously, because this is a film not made for radio. Um, but when I first saw this, I saw the, the network people, Immediately taking what this man had said and the inspirational words he had had put out and capitalizing on it for exactly the same things that he would have been opposed to. And that made me sad. And then when I saw what they were capitalizing on, and people were yelling in the different cities all over the country, and they first started showing people yelling, and you could see people yelling out their windows. I thought, well, there is the good from something like this, and that is that people now know they are not alone. But if you listen, the yelling quickly turns into a heated fervor. it, It quickly goes from basically an anger to a rage. As the anger feeds upon anger, you get rage. And that rage can be then directed by the very people you oppose to do the very things you don't want done. That's the danger and 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 that's a big lesson from that movie that in the end the people in power remain in power as long as getting mad is all that happens you have to start out with being angry about the fact that there are so many ways that your life is controlled you have to actually see the control you actually to be blunt have to re- realize that you have chains upon your neck your shoulders and your 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 wrists and your ankles and a big, heavy weight that you drag around everywhere you go. it's like an invisible hologram that's there. it's been with you since birth. You've been dragging it for so long you don't even know the weight anymore and this is like having somebody take and 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 spray like some sort of a, a, a an aerosol that causes the hologram the holographic chains to become visible to you and to realize your whole life, this is what you've been dragging with you. And then just look around you and see everybody else entwined in these chains. And then you actually see like these invisible masters that are walking around that occasionally take one of your chains and attach you to somebody else, and while they're still dragging their own, you're actually dragging part of their weight for them, and you're dragging them along with you. And then as you're enraged by that, to start to realize that at the same time, every once in a while, one of those masters comes along and attaches something to you and causes someone else to drag you along, like the raisin stuff. For everything that's done to harm you, something's done to actually give to you, in in many instances. Now, generally, what we do, if we want to bleed an animal and not kill it, we always take more blood then we should, but we never take so much as to cause it to keel over and we give it just enough food to replace what we've taken. That's how the Maasai manage their cattle. They take milk and blood from them. That's very similar to how governments manage citizenry. They want the cattle just healthy enough to not fall over and to be just dependent enough to continue to follow them, but be just independent enough to graze for themselves. That is the perfect understanding of how the state manages its citizenry. And when you see that, you should become angry. You have to be angry not just for the change you carry, not just for the people you drag, but you have to have an equal, rational anger for the people that are being forced to pull you along. And you have to accept that that's happened. And that's very hard for independent-minded, self-responsible people to do, because it's invisible so you never saw it. There's an awful lot the state does that's wrong, but sometimes you, even though you don't realize it, benefit from it. And that means that if we're to free ourselves from that, we have to take responsibility for all of those things. The reason this is important is it it actually stops dead cold the one thing the state needs to keep all of this illusion going and all of this control in place. It stops you and your brother... Right, and I say that in the, the larger concept, from hating each other. It makes you look at the machine generating the holographic chains. As long as you don't become equally outraged for all members of this society that are being chained in different ways, you will pick a segment to be angry with, and you will focus on them, and you will fall right back into the control system of the state. That's what they want. It's the only way out. And that's why the anger has to be quickly tempered and controlled and channeled into action. And you have to have the right mindset. The mindset is everything here. The mindset will lead to the proper actions. The first part of the mindset, my rights stem from my existence slash creation, your choice. I don't care if you're a humanist. I don't care if you're a devout religious person. I don't care if you're a deist such as myself. I don't care if you're a pure creationist. I don't care if you're a pure evolutionist. I don't care what you are. We can all have a universal belief that the sole fact that I exist in my creation, I have rights. Whether that creation is through the evolution of, of, of random happenstance or a guided intelligent design or God creating man from clay. No matter what you believe, you can still share the belief with others who disagree with that component of it that by our existence we have rights as human beings. That is one of the most universal ideals ever sold to the people of the world and that's why it's been wrapped in bullshit to control people. It is the grounding tenet of our Declaration of Independence. It is the driving force of of the first 10 amendments to our constitution, the bill of rights. And yet we, we shit on it on a daily basis. And that is proof that something can be true and used for evil at the same time. So it has been done for so long that people pay lip service and they don't really even think about it anymore. And, and you see the, what I call the word worshippers. They think we just got the technical language right. And somebody's giving a speech and they say something like, well, our constitutional rights. And they just wait. They wait like the nerd at the sci fi convention that wants to ask, ask about, you know, Star Trek episode 37 or something and, and a, an incongruency in the, the storyline. They wait and they go, and they raise their hand and the guy's up there trying to do his thing and he, he knows damn well that constitutional right should be constitutionally protected right, but he gives 20 speeches a week and he's doing the best that he can. And the guy's like, um, um so are you saying that, that our rights come from the Constitution? And of course the guy's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's And then the guy sits there all smug. This is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. If we just have the ideal in us, then we can stop tripping over these different little technicalities in the way somebody phrases something, and and this would be self-accepted. In other words, if I say something about gravity and I don't actually explain it perfectly, you still know what gravity is and you still get it. That's how self-evident this concept of your right stemming from your creation or existence should be. The people go, yeah, well, that's what he means. Right? But it's not. That's why we have these little technical people. But you did. oh, God, those people drive me nuts. I cut them off. If I'm talking and they do that to me, I just, like, you know what? You talk about that later. I'm going to take a question that's actually real. (laughs) Just a little side note there. So you start out with that. Your rights stem from your existence. The fact that you're a human, that you exist. I'm a human being. My life has value. Okay. The next is, my rights do not trump the rights of others. That is the only way for the rest of this to work. You have to first understand that you have your rights, they are your rights, and no one should take them from you, but your rights cannot be used to infringe upon others' rights of the same type. Just because you don't like something, or you don't want something, or even if it adversely affects you through competition, you don't get to get rid of it because you don't like it, Because as soon as you accept the fact that, well, it's better for me if I do this, then it's better for someone else if they take yours. And all of the the pitfalls that come from the rest of what I'm about to say cannot become a pitfall if those two things are held as the primary guiding tenets. My rights stem from my existence, and since others do as well, my rights do not trump your rights. Period. Okay? Okay? The next one is, I am responsible for myself, then for my family, and only then to others. And for the sake of brevity in the in the show notes, I did not append the last piece of this, which is, and then only by my choice. So my responsibility is first to me, and then to those that depend on me, through voluntary association is family. So I should take care of my son. I should take care of my wife. I should take care of my children. You got it? The only ethical decision is to take responsibility for that of for ourselves and for that of our children. Right? Pretty simple. It even is in permaculture. And then others would be my community, the person across the street the person across the country, the person across the world. It is good to be charitable. It is good to help others. It is good to stand up for others. But first, you must stand for yourself. You must be able to stand for yourself. And if you start worrying about yourself, you tend to stop worrying about others, and then you have assistance with the human nature that wants to make you backslide on the last tenet. Your rights don't trump others' rights. When you start focusing on yourself, you start to see all the places your rights are infringed. And you don't like it. It feels very dirty. It feels very wrong. And every time you feel it, it reinforces for you how wrong it is when we do it to others. And then when you see it happen to somebody else, even if you completely disagree with their choices, you realize what it feels like for them and you don't want it for them. So by focusing on yourself, you become far more empathic to other human beings because you share their feelings without having to share their core beliefs. And then the next one, a right... Is something you have a right to pursue, not to be provided with. Just because you have a right to freedom doesn't mean that I am required to provide it to you. It means I am required not to infringe with it. Just because you have a right to happiness doesn't mean that I am required to provide it to you. So when, when government says, All human beings should at least have a right to good, clean, quality food and water. Okay? That doesn't mean they get it provided to them. That means that there should be no impingement, no infringement on their right to obtain it. Nor for my right to provide a solution to them for it. Like selling them food at a better price because I can, because I have more, because I produce more. And therefore I can make plenty of profit at a lower price per unit because I want to help them and I want to profit from my labor. See? A right is something you have a right to pursue, not to be provided with. And that applies to others. See, everything here applies to you and to everybody else. The next is, all systems of theft and coercion are to be resisted intelligently and peacefully. We should all resist the income tax. But we should all resist it by playing their game as well as they do. By having good accountants, good CPAs, right? Good record keeping, good good policies of how we manage our own deductions so that if we're ever audited, we can walk in with a smile on our face and say, here you go, here you go. Be prepared, not just for a storm, but for an attack by the state itself. This is where we have to be in our society if we're going to head toward freedom. When when someone says you can't do something, you should immediately say to yourself, not how do I convince them to let me, how can I work this system so that I can do this anyway and they can't stop me? What creative solution can I come up with? An example of this at an individual level was a gentleman that wanted to put a very nice garage in at the neighborhood I lived in in Pennsylvania. He needed a zoning variance to do this. Unfortunately, he didn't tell anybody in the community that he, there was about 19 houses in this neighborhood, that that's what he needed and that's what he was doing. He spent an awful lot of money to get it designed by an architect, had a 3D model made up, and he went down to the zoning and planning committee to make a presentation to them and say, I need a zoning variance because it's X number of feet within some distance of the main road. But you guys have no plan to widen that. And there would still be room to widen it by two lanes anyway, which is bigger than it would ever be. Is this okay? Can I get my variance? Because you live right on the corner. And it was a beautiful garage attached to the house. There would have been no reason not to do it. And every member of the the, the committee, uh, the town council looked at it and said, I don't have a problem with that. And an old lady named Agnes stood up in the back of the thing and says, well, I do and I speak for all the people in the neighborhood. And she said she didn't want it. Because she didn't want to be the, the, the person that had to tell people, we live at the end of the street of the house with the garage out by the road. And she felt she was defending the, the property values, though I don't think this would have done anything to harm the property values at all. But such is the tyranny of an old lady that speaks up because she can and has the force of the state at her back. So all of a sudden the whole and this was a ret- guy that had just retired from trucking, he worked his whole life and he was finally spending some of the money he saved and enjoying his retirement. Construction begins and there's this great big huge aircraft hangar looking thing going in on instead of the right side of his property, the left side of his property. And uh, I talked to him. I said, what are you putting in? He goes, oh, well, you know, the neighbors didn't want me to put a garage in, so screw them. I'm putting this in. And I looked at him and said, well, that's cool. I don't care. And he says, yeah. He goes, but I had to do it. And it, it, This cost a lot less, but I had to because I lost so much money with all the work that already went into the designing of the garage. I couldn't redesign it. I had to do this instead. And this will be a lot more of an eyesore if there's such a, if it is than, than my garage would have been. I'm like, what do you mean about the neighbors? And he said, he tells me the whole story I just told you. And I'm like, I never knew anything about this. And so we talked, there wasn't a single person in that neighborhood other than this old bitch. And that's what she was, an old bitch. She happened to be my next door neighbor too, who, who even knew that, that he wanted to do it because she was the kind of busybody that focuses on all this stuff. And now she had something she hated far much, far worse, but she couldn't do anything about it. Without even thinking about it this way, that's what this gentleman did. He said, fine, you won't let me have a garage? Then I don't need a variance on the other side of my property to put in anything I want, so I'm going to put in something much larger. than in the end, he ended up being more happy with. The reason he was more happy with was a lot more space. He could do a lot more with it. He could fit more vehicles inside. He could set up this whole workshop. And this guy kind of went out, and he was a great guy, too, to, to tell you the type of person that this lady was crapping on. He went out and bought a great big lawnmower. And a great big snow blower and a big plow blade for the the lawnmower too, so that he could blow snow and he could also like push snow. And whenever we had big snowfalls, with nobody in the whole neighborhood except Agnes ever had to to clear or shovel their driveway ever again, because he went around the whole uh, the whole neighborhood and he did everybody's for free. And when you tried to give him money, he's like, I don't want money. He goes, I I don't work anymore. All of you people are working for a living. I did that for 40 years. I know what it's like. I have the time now. Now you can get out of here and go to work. Hell of a guy. Hell of a guy. This is what happens when humans get creative in solving their problems, though. They create freedom for themselves. And then they can use that freedom to help others. No one had to pass a law to make this guy help his neighbors. But someone else used the law to prevent this man from pursuing his goals. If we respected each other's rights, it would have never been an issue in the first place. But in the end, a better solution was found because the restriction was manipulated to the advantage of who was restricted. That's what we need to do. We need to intelligently and peacefully resist things. When we resist with violence, we strengthen the people in power. When we resist with stupidity, we strengthen the people in power. When we resist with intelligence and peace, we weaken those in power. The next thing is, an unfair system is not an excuse for inaction. When I do talks, I have people always say stuff like, I will never own land because it's only renting land because they tax the land. And I'm like, well, you live somewhere, so you're paying somebody else's property tax for them. Do you understand that? And I hear so many people that use what can't be done as an excuse for not doing what could be done. If you are going to have sovereign individual human rights, you need to understand that every single right comes with a corresponding responsibility. I believe you have a right to own a gun. I believe you have a responsibility not to load it, lay it on the side of a tree in your front yard where kids walk by every day. I don't believe the responsibility of gun ownership is owning a magazine that has 10 rounds or less in it. That's what the government believes. But I do believe it means securing your weapon. It also means you have a right to to have a a gun, and you have a right to go out and shoot and train with a gun. But you don't have a right to fire it across the street at your neighbor's house because, well, he has some cool stuff hanging from the window that you thought would make a good target. Every right has a corresponding responsibility. And one of the responsibilities that we have in regards to our liberty is to exercise it. And if you don't exercise a right, you'll lose it. They teach you that in grade school when they're trying to convince you to vote. They will use the truth to sell you a lie. Very simple. Next, I can't change society. But I can change myself. So I have a duty to do so. I have a responsibility to do so. To change myself to be more liberty-minded. To believe more in myself than I believe in the need for others to do things for me. And last, I am a human being. My life matters. So I will not waste it. So many people are out there bitching about everything that's wrong, but they're not doing anything. And they're wasting the gift that is life. I do not share the belief of many of you who are part of organized religions, but I do believe in God. I don't even try to define God, but I believe in a God. I believe in an intelligent creator to what we have. And I believe the one gift of our creation truly is the life that we have to live. And I believe to not capitalize on that gift is a waste. It is a disgraceful waste of an incredible gift. And again, most people that choose in action use the excuse about what they can't do for not doing what they could do. If you want rights, you cannot wait for someone to bestow them upon you. You cannot ask that someone restore them to you. You have to claim them. You have to take them. You have to seize them. Again, this is not a revolution anymore. It has gone so far for so long. Revolutions will no longer work. This is an insurgency. This is this is an insurgency. There were plenty of times along the way as the government got greater and greater control of the people that people would have been willing to make the deal of a revolution. Just stop. Just stop here. Here you shall come and no further. But the government couldn't stop. By its very nature, it cannot stop. By its very nature, government begats more government. It must. And therefore, it will always get bigger. It will always get more oppressive. It will always get stronger. There will never be smaller government as long as government is permitted to exist in its current form. Where Where the responsibility to preserve the rights of individuals lies not with the individuals that have the rights, But with the state, until people stand up and demand their rights and claim their rights and act on their rights, it will not change. Government will continue to do what it's always done, like a single cell organism dividing every so many seconds and getting bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and bigger, until such time that it must collapse upon itself. But then, like the Terminator, if the mind of the people has not changed, it will reconstitute itself into something that is probably far worse. It may even look pretty, but it will be just as deadly. A velvet fist is not a velvet fist, if the velvet is covering steel. That is the yoke of your masters. You have to cast it aside. You have to resist it at every intelligent and peaceful level that you possibly can. It might involve geographic relocation. It might just be like, there's too many things I can't do here. So instead of bitching about it, I'm going to go somewhere I can do these things. It might involve being really creative on how you break the law without breaking the law. It's up to you. You've got to figure it out. My final thoughts on this are, you are a human being. Your life does matter. I really don't want you to waste the opportunity that you have. Every day that you get up, that you're alive, that you feel the blood coursing through your veins, you should be working toward more for yourself. That is not wrong. The more you have, the more you can give. The more you can give, the more you do. Your life matters. Don't waste it. And with that, this has been Jack Spirito with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days. You know it's
2: on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do.